0: and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. This week, uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, kick off a, a short series that we're going to be doing, three lessons we're going to be doing, talking about um, money and finances, uh, especially with a Christian perspective. And um, I, I hope that this is a blessing to you and uh I've been looking forward to teaching these, these lessons for a while now. And uh, just finally, the time is here. I get to kind of introduce it to everybody and, and talk about this. And uh, I, I'm stuttering and stumbling and kind of stalling for time because I have a new iPhone. I'm going to talk about that actually. Yes, on the week that I decided to talk about money, I got a new iPhone. Um, and we'll debate the wisdom of that later. But uh, it keeps turning off on me when I'm not looking at the phone, which is just really annoying, and I don't know how to fix it, but we'll see maybe with this slide thing if it kind of stays up there. Um, but Taylor, be ready to kind of take this over if somehow this technology fails me. But we're, we're starting this series over the next few weeks, uh, this, this idea of money talks and, and our money talking to us. And if our money could talk to us, most of us we wonder kind of what the tone would be as it talks to us, right? No. (laughs) You know what the tone would be if your money would talk to you. Can I hear an amen from anybody under conviction in the room? No, you don't wonder how your money would sound. Um, We just wonder how we could make our money be quiet if our money started talking to us, right? And, And why? Because if our money could talk, We're pretty sure that our money would have a very wise and mature perspective, and we feel kind of guilty because maybe we haven't always been so wise and mature when it comes to our money. So if our money could start talking to us, our responses might look a little bit something like this, yeah, I know, or yeah, I should have known, or no, I shouldn't have done that, or "Or, yes, I realize that's more shoes than two feet need. Can I hear an amen from any husbands in the room? (laughs) We got one single guy. "But <laughs> Keep that one on the down low there. There's some wisdom from the husbands in the room there, staying quiet, just, you know, I'm not going to say anything. But the fact is, when we look at kind of the statistics and the studies and the surveys that are done on American finances, personal, you know, American personal finances or family finances, American savings, American spending, American debt, how most Americans, not most of us, but most of the other people that aren't here you know how most americans handle money shows that something is wrong with our ideas and the way that we think about money and about ourselves and christians kind of have an idea of, about what the root cause of that is but but when we think about what we should have done differently with the money that we have had that has passed through our fingers and gone on to be with somebody else we knew that we would probably regret some of the things that we have done with our money can i hear an amen again Yes, amen. We knew, we knew we would probably be embarrassed if somebody asked us how we paid for that, right? If somebody asked us how we financed that, what the terms of the financing was, right? And, and everybody just says kind of how nice it looks. Nobody asks you how you're going to be paying for that, right? Uh, because you know, nobody's asking you what actual price will you have paid for that thing once you're done paying all the interest. And the reason that we don't ask each other is not even because it's not polite, although it's not really polite to ask that. The reason we don't want to start those conversations is because when we finally buy something for ourselves, we don't want them asking us anything. Right? Let's just, you know, you handle your business. I'll handle my business. But we buy things like that anyway. We have credit cards anyway, and we know we shouldn't. Right? You put a $20 shirt on a credit card, you end up paying $45 for it once it's all said and done. What is wrong with you? And what's wrong with me? Turn to somebody close to you and just ask them, what's wrong with you? Now, the interesting thing to me as a pastor isn't so much like what our money would say. What's interesting to me is kind of the parallel between what our money would say if our money could talk and what Jesus actually did say when Jesus did talk about money. And if you've been in church uh, for more than one uh, you know, series or teaching on money, you probably know this thing right here, right, that Jesus said more about money than heaven, There's roughly 35 parables, depending on how you count them, that Jesus gave and teachings and illustrations that he gave um, during his public career uh, that are recorded for us. And about 16 of them actually have to do with money and possessions. But here, you know, it's maybe not shocking to you if you've been around church for a while and know that, that Jesus talked about money more than heaven. But here's something that did kind of surprise me. In Jesus' talking about money and all of the times that he talked about money, it's interesting to me that Jesus actually never asked anyone for money. He talked about money all the time, but he never asked anyone for money. Except when we see this one time where he asked somebody for a coin and he did kind of like a coin trick with it and then, you know, ta-da and then gave it back to him. And and that's it. He gave it back as far as we can tell. So what was his teaching about money really all about if he wasn't there to ask for money? What was he up to? And he was up to something and he was after something, but it turns out he wasn't after anybody's money. So Jesus had something to teach us about money. And if our money could simply talk to us, we'd find it echoing what Jesus would say and what might that message be that Jesus and money would tell us. And it's basically this. If our money could talk to us, it might say, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I think our money would kind of remind us that it never leaves the funeral with the person that the funeral was held for. Money doesn't leave the funeral with that person. It always gets left to someone else unless someone decided to give that money away ahead of time. Money would remind us that it is a much better means than an end. And if you make money the end, you may end up alone. Money is a means to an end. So if we can learn to see money as the means to an end, it can actually work for us to make our lives more full of purpose and more meaningful. And now, look, this is a big deal. Like, this is the whole message right here, all right? Get this next point, and you can tune out for the whole rest of the Sunday, all right? All right, everybody ready for this? And this isn't a Christian thing. This isn't a non-Christian thing. Listen, being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I just got a new iPhone the other day, right? Because I went in there, and we had to square some things away, and, and buying a new iPhone, the guy told me, actually makes my monthly payment less than having or keeping my old iPhone and and I knew I was going to start teaching a series on money today so I figured if I was going to buy anything I better do it before I started teaching on money Now here's the thing I really liked my old phone It was a good phone I didn't go in there with the intention of switching it out. It was nice. It was, you know, that space black iPhone, right? Had a black leather case on it. Felt good in my hand. It was tough. You know, I could use it to beat somebody up if anybody ever attacked me. But here's the thing. I liked my old phone. I really had, I, I, not just I didn't have a problem with it, I liked my old phone. But as soon as they put that new one in my hand, mmm, mmm, felt different. Felt different. And then, here's the thing. I really liked my old phone. As soon as they put my number on the new phone, I didn't care anymore about my old phone. The guy told me there was a promo going on. He says, well, listen, look, as part of this extended promotional credit, I actually can't let you take your old phone home, you know, like get all your stuff off it, which I had iCloud anyway. I wasn't worried about it. He said, I can't let you take this back home and then bring it back to me a couple of days later. I have to take your, your old phone immediately. And I said, sure. And I gave it to him. Because everything was already coming over to my new phone, right? I didn't cry. I didn't get sad. I didn't ask if I could have a moment with my old phone before he could... Why? Because it wasn't really about the phone. It's about what the phone enabled me to do. And as soon as my old phone could no longer let me do what I had a phone to do, then it was no longer meaningful to me. So what gave my phone meaning was that it was a means to an end. And this is true not just of things, this is true of our lives. If you want to have a meaningful life, if you want your life to have purpose and richness and and be fulfilling, you have to figure out how to become a means to an end that is bigger than yourself. If you want to have a reason to wake up in the morning, if you never want to expire, hello, if you never want to go out of date, turn to somebody close to you and tell them, I don't want to be last year's model. If you never want to expire or go out of date, there's a lot there. We're just going to move right on past it. Like, you have to learn how to become indispensable to an end that is greater than yourself. And, and so here's how this relates to money. And here's why this idea is so important. Because when you decide to live as a means to a greater end, your money will become a means to that greater end as well. When you embrace this shift in your life's perspective, it will also automatically shift your perspective with your finances, and you'll start to look at your resources like your car and your house and your bank account and your retirement and your time and energy, all of these things. They will all become tools that will serve you as you dedicate your life to serving an end that is greater than yourself. And this is exactly the idea that Jesus taught us. And, and it's because he's brilliant, right? And Jesus is always brilliant. And he always upgraded his iPhone every year. Still trying to feel better about my decision. He didn't really upgrade. Jesus would still have a flip phone. How many of you know that? No, nobody's, nobody's sure about that. Only Carl's sure that Jesus would still have a flip phone. But it, it's interesting, and one of the teachings of Jesus, and, and Luke tells us about this, Luke was actually a, a doctor in the first century. He wasn't originally a follower of Jesus. He actually became a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, after Jesus had had his public career and, and kind of left the scene. But Luke wanted to be sure about this greater end that he was believing in and, and giving his life to. And so he, he investigated all of the eyewitnesses. He went around and found the people that actually talked with Jesus and interacted with Jesus and had Jesus perform miracles and change their lives. And he collected all of these interviews and these eyewitness accounts, and he put them into this, this neat and orderly document. And, and, and then he started sharing that with the early church, and they loved it, and they made copies of it and passed it all around. Eventually... Luke's documents kind of became collected with some other documents that were kind of reliably to have been known to to be from the early followers, and that became what we call the New Testament. But Luke tells us one time when Jesus was talking about about money, and, and Jesus was actually using a parable, which is kind of like a fictional story. Jesus would make up a story to illustrate a point that he wanted to teach his followers. And so in Luke chapter 16, we actually find Jesus giving us one of these parables, and it has to do with money and meaning and all of these things that we've kind of introduced so far. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus tells his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions." So this rich guy had so much wealth, so many resources that he actually had to hire a manager. But the manager wasn't very good at his job. And as we're going to see in a little bit, he didn't really have uh, very much ethic to himself and, and, and about his profession. And so he probably lied on his resume or something like that. He got the job of becoming the manager over the rich man's resources, but it got found out that he was wasting the rich man's resources. So the, manager, so the owner, rather, the rich guy, called the manager in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Like give me an account of your management because you can't be my manager any longer. So you're going to have to give an account. You're going to have to send out those final emails telling people your last day is going to be Friday and all this kind of stuff. And I want you to bring me the big notebook and show me all the entries, show me what's out there, show me what's still being invested, what payments are still coming in, all of this kind of stuff, but you can't be my manager any longer. You're fired. Right, That's what he's telling him. You are fired. So the manager says to himself, well, what shall I do now? Everybody say now. Everybody say now. Everybody say it's about time. All right. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I've been caught, right? I got caught. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I'm used to driving a, a, a keyboard and a mouse. I have a fluorescent tan. I sit in a cube, right? I can't go out and, and dig ditches or anything like that. And, and so, all this manager has, all that he has, is a tiny bit of time and a tiny bit of opportunity to set a course for his suddenly uncertain future. Now, I want you to catch this. What am I going to do now? Like in this crisis, everything was secure. Now everything's unsecure and things are about to be really bad for me once I'm unemployed for sure come Friday. So what am I going to do now? And in this limited time, with this limited amount of power still in my control, limited amount of resources still under my oversight, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he thinks, and he thinks, and he thinks, and he schemes. And I love, I love what he does. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now, notice this. When he's no longer employed by the rich guy, he has figured out something to do so that he will have somewhere to go and someone to go to. So what's he going to do that's going to enable this dishonest money manager who's just bungled everything and he's about to get fired? What is he going to do so that he will have somewhere to go and someone to go to? And Jesus is brilliant. He's a master storyteller. I love this. And this character right here, I love this guy. He's so sneaky and so crafty and so colorful. He just, I love what he does. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, all the people that owe the rich guy money everyone that he's made a small business loan to, everyone that he's, you know, kind of charging them interest and he's getting richer off of their interest. He calls in each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? And so the first guy's like, well, man, I didn't expect you to call me in. I wasn't expecting this meeting. I don't really have everything, you know, ready to pay, right? Well, I actually owe your master 900 gallons of olive oil. And the manager told him, take your bill and sit down, everybody say it with me, quickly. What am I going to do now? A limited time, limited window. Here, sit down quickly. Thanks for coming in so soon, Larry. I know you weren't expecting to be here today. Ah, I thought I still had time to pay. I don't have it all together. Sit down quickly, quickly. Before anyone comes, sit down quickly because I only have limited time and limited opportunity. And I have to use my limited time and my limited opportunity to make sure I have somewhere to go and someone to go to. So sit down quickly. And you know that 900 gallons that you owe? Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. He's about to get laid off on Friday. And he just gave this guy 50% off what he owed the rich man. And Larry, the olive oil guy, his name wasn't Larry. I just made that up. He he looks at him and says, wow, really? Okay, well, I I don't have the whole 900, but yeah, I can pay you the 450, right? I can take on that new debt. And you're giving me half off and 50% discount. Wow. And you know that the olive oil guy looked at him and said, man, this is so generous of you. This is so kind of you. Listen, if you ever need anything from me, to which the dishonest manager said, oh, well, you're so kind. You know, let me make sure that I have your number in my new iPhone. And then, you know, he kind of goes on and and, and then he asked the second guy that owes the rich man money, how much do you owe? And the guy says, well, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill and make it 800, to which the bushel guy probably said, wow, 20% off what I owe. For nothing, for no reason, the manager's like, well, we just like you. We just like you. We've always been in business with you. You're a good guy. The bushel guy is probably like, wow, listen, this is so kind. This is going to be a huge boost to my profits this season. Listen, if you ever need anything, to which the money manager probably said, well, thank you. You're so kind. I might be calling you sooner than you think. And the poor people in the audience, what are they thinking about this? They love this guy, right? Because, man, he's getting over on the rich man. The rich people in the audience, they're thinking, this guy's a crook. He's a thief. And the whole audience is leaning into Jesus' story. They're engaged, just like you're leaning into Jesus' story because he's brilliant. And Jesus tells us that the manager did this with all of the debtors to the rich man. Over and over and over again, he settled these accounts for hugely discounted payments. And then Jesus kind of turns the story, turns the corner in the story. But the master... And everybody's thinking what we were thinking, right? Uh-oh, here comes the big blow-up. He's going to get called in the office. He's going to get let go early. The security guard's going to come in and usher him and escort him from the building. Here comes the shaming and the yelling and the arresting and the convicting. This guy is toast. But Jesus is always putting a twist in the story, isn't he? He's always twisting things around. and He gets us all to pay attention. He gets us all to lean in and really think, about what's going on because in every parable that Jesus gives there's always someone that represents God and there's someone in the story that represents the people in the audience there's always someone that represents God and there's someone in the story that represents you and represents me right and we assume that the money manager is going to get into big trouble but when the rich guy finds out what the manager has done, look what Jesus does with the story. The master commended the dishonest manager. He pats him on the back. He smiles at him. He laughs with him. He gives him a high five. He calls his other rich guy friend on his new iPhone. And he says, look, you won't believe what this dishonest manager has done. He's brilliant. I can't believe it. And he commends the dishonest And we're confused, right? Like, why would the rich guy appreciate this? What was it about the dishonest manager's actions that made the rich man react like this? Why would he commend him? Because he had acted shrewdly. Because he was in a pickle, and he sat down, and he thought through everything that was happening. He didn't just live in the present He didn't just stay in the present and and, and consider himself a victim of his present circumstances, but rather he began to plan and he took the future into account and planned where he would go and who he would go to. He thought about his limited time. He thought about his limited opportunity, his limited supply, and then he planned how he would use someone else's supply to secure his own future see where it's going. Anybody? You're like, no, I'm just listening to the story. (laughs) Keep up. All right, keep up. (laughs) And this is so confusing to us. Wait, I thought he's supposed to be the bad guy. He should be in trouble. Now, he was dishonest, but did he do anything illegal? I don't know. No HR people here? No, nobody wants to comment. No legal, you know, experts, and and everybody's leaning into Jesus' story. Now that Jesus has them all right where he wants them, and he has us all right where he wants us. Now Jesus kind of pulls out of the story, and now Jesus teaches the lesson that he wanted to teach all along: that God, that God sees wealth and sees money and possessions a lot differently than we do. That God measures how they are used a lot differently than we do. And Jesus says, for the people of this world, in other words, the people like this dishonest money manager who only take this world and this life into account, people who only consider this life to be all that there is, people that live from birth certificate to death certificate, and they think that's all all there is. For the people of this world are more shrewd They're more thoughtful at times, more planning oriented at times, more considerate of how to leverage limited time and limited opportunities in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light, the people of the light. And then if you follow the teachings of Jesus, you kind of know what's going on, that he was the one that was the light of the world, come into the darkness of the world, calling people to follow him, to bring light to the rest of the people, the rest of the world that is in darkness. That's what we say as the church, right? We are a light in the darkness. We are to bring the light into the dark world. And Jesus is saying the people of this world that don't even have that eternal perspective, that don't even have that God-given purpose over their existence or over their days or over their actions or over their thoughts, the people of this world, they think about these things a lot better than sometimes do the people of light. In other words, the kingdom that God was bringing into the world, the people of the sun who would come and bring light into the darkness, people who should have known that this life is not the end. This life is merely a means to a much greater end that we don't often think about our limited time and our limited opportunities and our limited resources as shrewdly or with as much planning as sometimes people of this world do. And the money manager was commended for using his limited time and limited opportunity to serve a future purpose. Using the rich man's resources, just like we would use someone else's resources, someone else's, we might say it this way, Christians, someone else's blessings that have been entrusted to us. We don't use it as wisely as the people of this world. So where is our planning as people of light? Where is your scheming? Where is your thinking of how you can maximize your impact and magnify your limited abilities? How can we take what we have within the confines of this life and see it all within a bigger picture of what God is trying to do in our world and sit down and think through and plan and plan and figure out how to get the most future impact out of what we have control over now in this little bit of time with this little bit of opportunity. And then Jesus leans in, and he does something that he doesn't do very often in his teaching. He gives us this, this command, this imperative to anyone who wants to, to, to be a, a person of light, to anyone who wants to be one of his followers or live within a bigger story than their than, than themselves. And, and Jesus says, listen, to all of my followers, look, we're not in the parable anymore. This is what I want you to do based on what you have just just heard. So I tell you to use worldly wealth. Everybody say, use it. Everybody say it again. Use it. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use it, which means it's not the end. It's just a tool. It's not the end. It's just a means to a greater end. Use worldly wealth. Well, what other kind of wealth is there? Well, that's a whole other conversation, right? Because when it is gone, well, what do you mean when it is gone? Really, it's more like when we are gone, right? So that when we are gone, you can enter into eternal dwellings. And I'm not going to dive all the way into this idea of eternal dwellings today, but Jesus is telling us there is a calculation with God, something that's supernatural, something beyond human understanding, that the way that God calculates interest and return on investment, it's a whole different set of math equations than what we use. That with God, there is a way to use temporary blessings to create eternal returns. That with God, there was a way to use this world's resources to create for ourselves a future world blessing. And what Jesus is illustrating with this parable is what we have said from the beginning. That money is a means to a greater end. Money is a path. It's a tool. It's a vehicle to a greater end. It's not the end. But it's worth taking it and thinking about it and planning, and calculating how it can be used to produce an end beyond this life's end. Now, here's the thing about this. If Jesus is right, and I'm a pastor, so I better say that I think Jesus is right. If Jesus is right, then I think it's way more than just a percentage of what we have that we should see as being potential for eternal investment. Think about that with me. If what we have And everything that we have been blessed with and everything that has been given to us, if all of it is not the end itself, but all of it rather is a means to a greater end than itself, then I don't think we'd be smart to just consider a percentage of what we have to be worthy of investing for an eternal Return, it's everything that we have. All of it has the potential to create eternal or to create returns in the life beyond in this life. In other words, let me say it this way. If this doesn't confuse you, I don't know what will. Using everything I have as a means to a greater end means that I will find greater meaning before I meet my end. Think about it. If using everything I have as a means to a greater end, then it means I will find greater meaning before I meet. meet my end. And here's the thing. Some of us have found this to be true, right? When you give your life, when you dedicate your time, when you dedicate your energy, and yes, when you dedicate your finances to something that is greater than yourself, you found meaning. You found purpose. You found reason for going to church and being part of a church beyond kind of just like keeping some random rules so you can get into the good place after you die. Hello, enough of us in this room have experienced this to know that it's true, that you're reaping benefits beyond what you have invested in the kingdom of God. Your kids are enjoying the result of your investment. Think about it. Hurting people are feeling the benefit and the joy of this church's previous investment. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Lost people are being found. Hurting people are being healed. All of that is happening. We just had baptism Sunday just a couple of weeks ago. That was amazing. Can I hear an amen from somebody? It was incredible. Why are these things happening? How is it that we're able to encounter these stories and celebrate these stories and see these stories become part of who we are and join our other stories? It's because some of us here have found this to be true, that we've gone all in, that we've realized that everything that I have in this life can be leveraged for impact and for return beyond this life. We've given above and beyond just a simple percentage because it's all God's anyway. It's never mine to begin with. So while I am here, now, within this limited time, with this limited opportunity, God, I am going to make available to you everything that you have given me to manage. All of it is available for your greater end. And my life is so much more meaningful than if I had chosen to take it all and spend it all and use it all on myself. Now, I grew up in a pastor's home, and so giving to church and giving to others is just kind of what we did, and I don't think I'm special for that. Uh, If you were in my circumstances, you would have done the same thing. If you'd had my dad, you would have done the same thing, Uh, you know, and if I were in your circumstances, you know, the same would have been true of me that is true of you, but because I grew up in a pastor's home, because Jason and I grew up in a pastor's home, we, Jason and I individually, and then eventually with our families, we have always given just 10% of our income to the church, just right off the top. We don't even think about it anymore. We've been taught that from the time we were kids. We give 10% of our income to the church, and then we give another percentage above and beyond that to other needs that we know of in the church or through the church or whatever it might be. And if you're new to church, that sounds crazy giving away 15% or however much it might be, 10% even, whatever that percentage is, giving that much of my income to a church, that sounds crazy. And I would agree with you. That sounds a little bit crazy. If this life and this world is all there is, but if Jesus is right, and there's actually a life beyond this life, than not giving anything in this life that will give you a return in the other life, it's kind of crazy not to give if Jesus is right. So all of this hinges on whether or not you believe that Jesus is right. And you might think, well, Jared, there's no way I could give 10% or even 5% of my income away. And I get that. Listen, but for everybody that I pastor and everybody here at City Grace, I think you should choose what percentage of your income you're going to live on and choose what percentage of your income you are going to give away. And you might think, well, why? Why should I choose what percentage of my income I'm going to live on, what percentage I'm going to give away? Because you already (laughs) give away some of your income and you already live on the rest, don't you? Just some of it goes to Macy's. Some of it goes to Comcast. Hello. A lot of it goes to Starbucks. Some of it goes to a new iPhone, right? You already know. You live on a certain percentage of your income already. So if you're going to already live on a percentage of your income and give the rest away, why don't you not let that just happen to you like you're a victim? Why don't you take control and decide how much you're going to live on and how much you're going to give away? Because now you can decide to give that away towards the investments that have the eternal return. And you think, well, Jared, I, I can't, I, there's no way I could live on 90% of my income right now or 85% or even 95%. No problemo. I'm not here to judge you or anything, but pick a number. And as God blesses your faithfulness and God will bless your faithfulness, you can begin to increase how much you give away and decrease how much you need to live on. See, that's shrewd. That's what future thinking people do. But Jesus said, sometimes the people who don't even have the eternal in view, they're more shrewd with their planning than the people who know that there is an eternity coming after this life. And here's the thing. We have so much stuff already. You have so much stuff already. You have a room in your house that nobody goes into because it's full of boxes, and shoes and things you can't even fit in anymore. Can we just be honest in church on a Sunday? You're probably not going to get back into the size thirty two jeans you wore around high school time. Can I hear an amen from anybody? It's a give them away. Somebody's clapping for that. <laughs> hello, hello. You have cars. We have cars that we don't use all the time. We have furniture that nobody is, we have furniture nobody's allowed to sit on. There are towels in your guest bathroom we're not allowed to dry our hands on. You have dishes and forks and silverware nobody's ever allowed to use except for Thanksgiving. But the last few Thanksgiving, you've been using paper because it's a lot easier than doing dishes after the meal. Hello. You have bikes, your kids don't ride tools you don't use. Can I hear a groan from any men? <laughs> Men's like, I'm going to use that tool someday. No, you're not. I thought the same thing when I bought mine. I haven't used it yet, and Ivan came down the other day to use do something for the church, and he asked me for a tool, and I Almost had to pull it out of the packaging to hand it to him so he could use, you know. Just, but what if we decided that everything we have is available to God? Every single thing I have been blessed with, every single thing that has come into my hands, into my circle of influence, God, within this limited time, while I'm here now, let me sit down quickly and plan out, God, everything that you have blessed me with, I open my hands and I freely give it back to you. And God, you can use what I give now to create future benefits and future blessings and open wide the doors of the kingdom to the lost and the hurting and the broken. Hello, city grace. It's time to stop living just for this world. It's time for us to lift up our eyes and see that there is a greater end that our lives can serve. Hello. So sell your stuff. Cindra just said no. (laughs) Sell your stuff, everybody but Sindra. Sell your stuff. Pay off your credit card debt. debt. Don't live with consumer debt. Don't live with consumer debt. Don't live with consumer debt. It's almost Christmas. Don't live with consumer debt. It's almost Christmas. It's almost Black Friday. And don't forget about the Black Thursday and Black Wednesday and Black Tuesday and Black one, right? Like they they're rolling it all the way back now. You can find a Black Friday sale in July just about now, right? Hello. Stop. Stop falling for the tricks. Stop going for everything that's shiny and new. Stop. I knew I'm so dumb to buy it Friday before I preach this stop Jared, somebody say stop it Jared I needed you guys on Friday, I really needed you stop (laughs) start selling your stuff pay off all of your debt what if we could live on a smaller percentage of our income and invest more into that future thing, what could happen through us Hello, what could happen around us if we decided to use all of our limited time and all of our limited opportunity to open up everything that he has blessed us with to make an eternal difference? Now, here's the thing. There's probably not a person in this room that doesn't want to be that generous kind of person, right? How many of you with me, like you wish, like we're ready, we wish we could break ground on a new children's hospital tomorrow. Come on, anybody. Anybody with there's like seven of us. It's going to take a lot more than seven of us. Anybody ready to break ground in a new children's hospital tomorrow? Don't worry, I'm not taking an offering. Just dream. Y'all won't even dream. You're scared to dream because you think it's going to... No, he's going to ask for money. I know he's about to ask for money. I'm not going to ask you for money. All of us in this room wish we could be that kind of person. It sounds so incredible right now. Sounds so beautiful because the words of Jesus are on the screen and they're big and there's yellow and white and oh, everybody's here. But next month's Christmas. This is a horrible time to preach about money. Jared, hello. But I want to give you one question to ask the next time you do your budget, the next time you sit down to calculate and to think, and the next time you sit down to decide how much of your stuff or money, rather, you're going to use to buy more stuff. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I want more stuff? Oh, go back. Do I want more? Nope, go back farther than that. Nope, go back farther than that. Taylor, help me out. I don't know where it is. I went too far now. Okay, this is what I want you to ask yourself. Do I want more stuff, or do I want more stories? Do you want more stuff, or do you want More stories. When your life's already done, when you're in the final moments of your life, the final years and the kids are grown and moved on, nobody's going to care about your stuff. But people will sit around and tell stories about you. In particular, people that you have helped and blessed and those that have given to City Grace in the past. Listen, those that are giving now, you are part of making all of this change happen, all of this. If you were here and you made the Fairview Shoe Project happen where we went into Fairview Elementary and gave a new pair of shoes to all of those kids. If you were here to feed the first responders during the big fires, those that who you're giving enables us to support families. That are in need, buying groceries for families who are in need, giving that allows us to promote and host things like Baptism Sunday. Let me tell you, if you gave to all of that, all of it is part of your story now. All of it is part of your legacy now. And I want to remind us we have no idea what we would have done with the money that we gave to God. But we know this we don't miss it, do we? You're fine. I'm fine without it, but for the rest of your life, Baptism Sunday is part of your legacy. You made that happen. This church and all of its ministries, it's because of you. It's because of your generosity. It's because of your open-handed living. It's because you have realized that, God, while I am here now with limited time and very limited opportunity, God, I give all of it. I give all of it back to you, and you can use it all to an end that is greater than myself." And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as someone that has given, and I know I say this for everybody else that has given, I would not trade anything that I have ever given to God to gain something different than the stories that we have gained here in the City Grace family, the faces and the people that are now showing up each and every week. I don't regret giving one dollar to God. I'd do it again. I'm still doing it. Hello? It's worth it because all of it serves an end that is so much bigger than me, so much greater than me, that's going to last longer than me, that is going to have eternal impact. God, I give it all back to you. But here's the thing, you're going to have to budget because you still got to buy groceries. You still got to buy shoes. You still got to buy clothes, right? I'm not saying that you give up your responsibilities. That's not God honoring. Hello. But I think you should factor that question into your decision making. And that was Jesus's point that money can add meaning to your life when you use it as a means to an end that is bigger than you. And he goes on, and he says, let me tell you, we said that one. Let me see, there he goes. We said that one. There we go, here we go. We're caught back up. Everybody say yes. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with, with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little, will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who? Who's going to trust you with true riches? And Jesus is saying, money is not the end. There is something truer. There is something greater. There is something bigger than money. And if you've been given a a little and done a good job, you could probably handle more. But if you've been dishonest with just a little, why would you think that you'd be better or less dishonest if you had more, which means in Jesus's eyes, in the kingdom perspective that Jesus was trying to teach us, it means that money isn't just a tool, but that money is also a test. It's a test given by God to show us whose kingdom we are more devoted to, the kingdom of this world, to temporary kingdoms, your kingdom, your family's kingdom, those that Live life that is bookended by birth certificates or death certificates or the kingdom of the one who has showed us life beyond this life. And Jesus goes on and he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And we're thinking, wait, Jesus, what do you mean someone else's property? This is my property. I earned this. I made this. I bought this. I paid for this. It's mine. It's yours, right? Yeah, there's a catch to that question. right? It's yours, right? At least until you're not here anymore. And then suddenly, it's not yours. And suddenly, I I think we can start to catch the echo of what our money would say to us and, and what Jesus did say to us. The money would tell us that I'll still be here when you're gone. And if you only hold on to something for a little while, and then there comes a point in time when you can no longer hold on to that thing, you only hold it temporarily, then it's not really yours. And money would say to us that the moment you think you own me, I own you. Because we don't really own what we have. We're simply managers of what we have been blessed with. We don't really own everything that has been given to us. We are simply stewards of the blessings, and the graces, of a good, good God who wants us to use it to serve an end that is greater than ourselves. If the musicians could come on up. We're managers. We're not owners. We're managers. We're not owners. Which brings up a really good question. Who are you managing it for? You know that you're going to have to give it away. Hello. You know that eventually it's going to pass through your fingers and you won't hold on to it anymore. And if you don't have a worldview, or maybe you think we all come from cosmic accidents, I I don't have a good answer for you. But Jesus endorsed a different idea, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that God made male and female in His image. And we were put on this earth as rulers and stewards and managers of God's creation, that we were put here to be in charge over all of this creation with the capacity for love and goodness and, and generosity and wisdom. We were created to use that love and goodness and generosity and wisdom to reflect our Heavenly Father out over this creation. And if that's your understanding, if that's your faith, if that's what you really, really believe, then suddenly everything that Jesus says about money, finances, and resources, everything starts to make a whole lot of sense. And it would be perfectly echoed in the words that our money would say to us if our money could talk, that I am a means, I'm not an end. Our money would tell us, I'm a tool and I am a test to see whose kingdom you're really serving. And our money would tell us, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. So what do we do with all this? How do we go forward? What's the application and the practice? And that's where we're going to pick back up next week. But for those of us that are Jesus followers, and some of us here, you're not sure yet, and I get that. That's okay. I hope you can see the wisdom in what Jesus is saying. I hope you can see the wisdom in what he's trying to teach us that we really don't own it at all. We're just managers of it. But for those of us that are convinced that there's more to this life than this life, for those of us that want to be that person that that does more, that gives more, that is more, that impacts more. But for whatever reason, you know, it sounds good when you're in church. It sounds good when they're playing the slow music at altar call. Hello. We all want to give more right now, don't we? If I showed you a picture of a puppy right now, you guys would write just thousands of dollars in offering checks. Like, don't get crazy, Jared. Don't get crazy. But, but when it's time to write that check, when it's time to go home and hit send or make that commitment when you do your budget, you know, it's just like, uh. And you wish it was different. You wish you felt different. You wish you didn't have that hesitation. You know, what do we do with that? Where do we start? And I I think maybe where we would start and where Jesus is telling us to start is it's not with an amount of money. It's not with a percentage. We're not talking about that today. But today, I think we should start with a question, and it's a big question, and it's a question really that some people never think to ask themselves, and at first it seems like it has nothing to do with money, but at the end, we kind of see it really has everything do with money? And it's this question. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, if being useful to something that is greater than yourself will make your life fulfilled, will make your days seem with purpose, that will make you to understand that you are needed and that you are appreciated and that you are recognized, hello, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, Then to what end do you want your life to be a means? To what end do you want your life to be a means? What story do you want to tell at the end of your life? Hello. What do you want them to say about you when your life is all said and done? Who do you want to say something about you? How many people do you want to say something about you? What do you want people to celebrate when you're gone? What stories do you want people to tell? What do you wish people would line up and thank you for at the end of your life? Hello. What breaks your heart right now that you really wish you could do something about? Have you sat down and thought about your limited time, your limited opportunity? Have you sat down and thought and planned out how you can use what God has given you to make an impact that is greater than yourself? Because here's the thing, you won't drift into this you won't fall into accidentally becoming a generous person. Hello? That doesn't happen by accident. It happens with intention. It happens with sacrifice. It happens to, when you choose future blessing over just temporary gratification. You have to choose it. Nobody has ever said, I want to waste everything that comes to me. Far too many people end up living that way because they never plan so I would ask us again today, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, then to what end do you want your life to be a means? For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.